Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, really bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. Uh, The first two definitely dealing with Russia versus Ukraine, and Jim will talk about the bad martini, which is probably the bigger news, uh, in just a moment. But there is some good news that we want to talk about. It's not just, you know, that... uh much of Europe was put on the brink of uh, a major nuclear disaster. But we also have some good news in terms of why the Russian convoy is bogging down, particularly in the north. Uh, You flagged this story over at The Week, uh, which points out that Russian uh, tanks and other vehicles are doing uh, a little bit better on the southern part of Ukraine, unfortunately, where it's more desert-like and it's drier. But in the northern part of Ukraine, it's getting into spring, which means it's muddy season, which means you need good tires. So one of the reasons that the convoy advancing on Kyiv is still roughly 20 miles from the city Uh, might be because of really bad maintenance. Two things. Number one, apparently a lot of these vehicles, you know, were deployed to the Russia-Ukraine border months and months and months ago, and apparently weren't uh, given much of a workout until the actual invasion began. So they were a little bit rusty. And then perhaps the more fun part, Jim, is that they got really crappy tires. As the story from the week uh, points out, Trent Talenko, a retired Pentagon staff specialist and military history blogger, suggests another big reason for the convoy stopping uh, maybe Russia's tires, as he explained in a long illustrated Twitter thread based on photos of deserted Russian Pantsir S-1 wheeled gun missile systems and his own experience as a U.S. Army vehicle auditor. Quote, when you leave military truck tires in one place for months on end, the sidewalls get brittle in the sun and fail like the tires on the Pantsir SR, he wrote. No one exercised that vehicle for one year. Then Carl Muth, an economist, government advisor, and self-described tire expert, jumped in agreeing with Talenko but adding some details about the tires. He says those aren't Soviet-era heavy truck radials, Chinese military tires, and I believe specifically the Yellow CYS-20. This is a tire I first encountered in Somalia and Sudan. It's a bad Chinese copy of the excellent Michelin XZL military tire design. Jim, I know nothing about tires other than that you're supposed to have four on your car, but this is... Uh, Potentially a fascinating, and at a time where we really need a good laugh, a hilarious uh, situation for the Russians who uh, went on the cheap with Chinese tires and never bothered to actually run their vehicles before the invasion. Greg, I'm just going to observe that while you're introducing this topic, you mentioned if you're going to invade Ukraine, you need good tires. It does sound like we're segueing to an ad. You don't want to get stuck in the mud in Ukraine under fire from Ukrainian resistance. So that's why you should always purchase Goodyear. Don't skimp on your tires or else you'll find your 40-mile convoy of weapons stuck. Yeah, by, the way, by the way, you should have five tires, really. You should have four on the ground and one in your trunk. As True. A yes, yes. Um, so it does seem a little bit strange. We were hearing about this convoy around the middle of the week. We are recording around midday on Friday, Eastern Standard Time. And it does not appear that this convoy has moved very much. Uh, we've been hearing, you know, obviously, the, the expectation is it's going to be used to encircle Kiev, cut it off from the rest of the country, and then either uh, gradually move in and tighten the noose, so to speak, or maybe they'll do uh, particular attacks vectors into the heart of the city. But yeah, this you know, people had talked about 
uh, in the lead up to the war, the idea of how much weather could be a factor and the degree to which a lot of this time of year, the ground is hard and frozen during a certain part of the winter. Of course, then your troops are fighting in the coldest weather and generally the you know snowiest and worst. You can wait a bit longer. The weathers get warmer and it's you know not nearly as difficult weather, snowstorms, stuff like that. But then the ground starts to turn muddy and you obviously need certain kind of vehicles and not every one of these uh, vehicles is, uh, in fact, my understanding is that very few Russian vehicles are designed to work on all terrain. Um, they generally need to be near roads or near railroads. They can't just cut across uh, open field or steps or, or things like that. And uh, that appears to be what's going on here. There's no guarantee of this, but one of the really intriguing things was this assessment that kind of goes through this. And he says, look, there's just isn't enough spare tires in the Russian uh, military inventory to replace everything that they're going to need to, need to replace. And I guess the idea is that if you keep these kinds of tires sitting still for months at a time, eventually, um, besides the fact, which by the way, something my friends have experienced, if you have a vehicle sitting in place at one time, eventually some little critter or insects or other creatures may say, hey, this would make a nice home. And all of a sudden, honestly, my friend had a you know squirrel living in his uh, in the engine block of his car. They can start eating away at wires or other things and just cause the the wear and tear to be exacerbated. Uh, fuel lines, all kinds of things that you don't want to have broken as you're about to head into a war zone. And so, you know, this is a factor: the idea of them them kind of mobilizing and then heading into this type of situation. Conceivably, it could take them four to six weeks. Um, before this convoy can really get all of its tires rolling and be operating at full speed. This doesn't mean they're going to stand still for the next four to six weeks entirely. But the expectation is that, you know, this is going to be a consistent problem for the Russians of breaking tires, busting tires, and needing having stalled out vehicles and needing to replace the tires. If you're the Ukrainians and you've got this big obvious target, one, whatever's left of the Ukrainian Air Force can hit them. Uh, obviously, you know, the skies are contested over Ukraine, but that would be terrific. And then the next thing is, all of those um, uh, Javelin anti-tank missiles, if you're, you know, apparently we delivered another 200 of them to the Ukrainians earlier this week, keep them coming. Uh, that obviously looks like that's going to do it. You know, you can make that convoy as big a target as possible and make it much, you know, really slow any Russian advance towards Kiev. Um, again, this is, and of course, the irony of the Russian military, you know, being stymied because of poor equipment. Uh, there is a particularly funny irony to it. And other little anecdotes we've heard seem to line up with this, including the report that a um, some of the Russian soldiers were deployed with field rations. These are food and, you know, soldiers will tell you they're not particularly appetizing, but apparently some of them had expired in 2015. That's, you know, that's like a good seven years ago. And that was the late Obama administration for perspective on how long ago this, this, uh, these rations were. So also various reports of Russian soldiers looting, uh, robbing stores, going into people's homes and demanding food and all that stuff. It really seems like the Russians were not properly equipped for this kind of advance. Now, does this mean that they're going to lose? Not necessarily, but it certainly does suggest that this is going to be a slow and painful advance for the Russian army. No, absolutely right. And you know what would be a great morale boost for everyone right now? Is if we could get Marissa Tomei uh, to reprise her role as Mona Lisa Vita from My Cousin <laughs> Vinny and just read this tweet from Carl Muth about how this is the Yellow Sea YS-20 uh, I can't do a good uh, Long Island accent like she can, but man, that would be good. I used to have a coworker who kind of looked like her and sounded like her, and uh, that would be perfect uh, for for her to give us a little bit of a laugh today. Because uh, imagine that, Jim, the Chinese making stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, you you think we'd had a multi year lesson in all of this, but uh, yeah, you know. <laughs>
<laughs> Next time, buy American. Oh, man. By the way, another uh, good uh, piece of news that I meant to mention at the beginning. Uh, good jobs report for February, 678,000 uh, jobs, but only 440,000, which would have been pretty good, uh, were expected. So hopefully uh, we're pretty much out of the pandemic here and uh, businesses can uh, can go full throttle and get this economy humming again. All right, uh, let's talk about our great sponsor for today, and that is ExpressVPN. Uh, look, you need to protect yourself online, just like you would protect yourself and uh, maintain your privacy doing anything else, whether it's closing your curtains, closing doors in your house, uh, going to the airport and making sure that your bags are locked. So, you know, I mean, TSA is probably going to rifle through some things anyway, uh, but nonetheless, uh, you don't want uh, every Joe in the, in the baggage handling knowing what's in your luggage. But when it comes to your online protection, you need a VPN and you need ExpressVPN because when you go online without a VPN, internet service providers, they can see every single website you go to and they can legally sell this information without your permission to ad companies and tech giants who then use that data to target you again. So why should you use ExpressVPN? Well, you can browse more anonymously. When you use ExpressVPN, ISPs cannot see your online activity, and your identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server. Your data is also encrypted for maximum protection. Also, it's easy to use. You just fire up the app and click one button. And ExpressVPN works on all your devices, phones, laptops, even routers, so everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected. It works great, it's easy to set up, and it gives you the peace of mind that you really need, especially when it comes to your online activity. You absolutely want this protection and you will feel better having that protection and knowing that it works great. Secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash martini today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash martini. And you can get an extra three months of that protection for free. One more time, expressvpn.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And if anyone's paid attention to the news for the last, oh, I don't know, 12 to 18 hours, you probably know where we're going here. Uh, and as you write uh, in the morning jolt today, the world watched and held its breath Thursday night as Russian forces gradually seized control of the Zaporizhia, I hope that's right, a nuclear power plant in Ukraine, but not before firing shells at the plant and starting a fire at a training facility adjacent to the plant's six reactors. Thankfully, at this hour, the plant has suffered no radiation leaks. And you go on to point out that the IAEA is breathing a bit of a sigh of relief, even though the Russians now control the facility. Uh, they are letting the personnel, at least for now, that had been there continue to run the, the facility. But it is a war crime, uh, as you also point out, to attack a nuclear power plant. So, uh, Jim, crisis averted, uh, thankfully. But uh, as we also see more and more videos piling up of direct targeting of civilian you know, apartment buildings and other things in, in some of these major cities in the Ukraine, it's obvious that not much is off limits for Vladimir Putin. By the time we got up this morning, we're seeing the updates on this. Nuclear engineers were saying, look, it's not like firing a shell at a nuclear power plant is automatically going to create some sort of mushroom cloud or something like that. Um, what you were be more worried about is, I guess, the spent fuel and the radiation that could come out of that. That is usually kept in uh, secure areas, but you don't know if those secure areas are necessarily meant to withstand shelling and other kinds of attacks from military sites. And I think um, one of the themes I tried to explore in today's morning jolt is this idea of like, look, obviously, you know, Vladimir Putin wants territorial conquest. He wants to claim portions of Ukrainian territory and say, aha, either this is now part of Russia 
or we're now creating, you know, um, the People's Republic of Ukraine or something like that, and some sort of Russian client state, satellite state, uh, so a subservient lackey state that would do as Putin uh, desired for, you know, from here on out. And I think that's, you know, one of the goals here. But you also kind of wonder that how much destruct, usually when you want to take over, you know, territory of another state, you'd like to take that territory reasonably intact. Um, you want to get control, you know, factories, you know, uh, highways, the infrastructure, cities, all that kind of, like you want, that, you want that stuff to be yours. So you don't necessarily want to destroy all of it, right? And yet what we are seeing from the Russians is cluster bombs, indiscriminate shelling of cities, uh, really horrible video I saw this morning of several rockets hitting one apartment building, meaning this is very hard to believe that that was a accidental uh, to have multiple rockets all hitting the same large apartment building. Uh, thermobaric weapons that are, the Ukrainians say have been used, the U.S. and other Western uh, military authorities say, well, we've seen it on the ground, so we know it's there. We have video of these types of weapons rolling through the streets of urban areas, and these are not the kind of, the, um, they can be basically work as one either giant flamethrowers or basically they can fire rockets that use a combination of heat and pressure, thermobaric, um, to basically destroy, you know, suck all the oxygen out of it. Basically, it's a lot like a fuel air explosive. Um and that's not the sort of weapon you'd want to see deployed anywhere near civilians. And now there have been several giant flashes outside Ukraine. People have speculated whether that's the use of those kinds of weapons. You add up all this kind of stuff. Russia is not just invading Ukraine. Russia is invading Ukraine in an enormously destructive way. And even if shooting a shell at a, uh, at a nuclear power plant, it's not guaranteed to set off some sort of giant radioactive disaster. It does raise the possibility of setting off a giant radioactive disaster. And hey, it's not like there isn't a history of Russian mismanagement of nuclear facilities on Ukrainian soil, for all of us who watched, uh, who remember Chernobyl and maybe watched that HBO series. Um, what is really kind of unnerving about this, I kind of wonder how much the uh, uh, Putin and the Russian mentality is, we will either possess this territory or we will destroy it, right? One way or another, Ukraine will cease to exist as an independent state. It will either be a you know subservient state to us, or it will be a uh, colossal you know, uh, you know potentially either at, at minimum devastated wasteland on par with Grozny and Chechnya. Uh, maybe the sites we remember of some of the Serbian or some of the you know uh, cities in the Balkans, uh, Aleppo in Syria. I mean, just these kinds of fights where you just don't see many many buildings intact and still standing. By the time the fight is over, um, that which I think changes the calculation. One, it shows to the Ukrainians, it is fight or die. That there's there is no scenario where Putin, you know, Putin uh, uh, leaves much of Ukraine intact. And two, um, there's just going to be you know it's going to be a long, long time before Ukraine is rebuilt physically, and I guess also probably in terms of its identity and emotionally. Uh, maybe a generation is going to have to pass here. It is really, really bad stuff. It's glad we did not have. A terrible radioactive disaster in the middle uh, in the southern part of the country to match the terrible radioactive disaster that occurred in the northern part of the country back in the 1980s. Um, but I, I think that there, I think the, the, the actions of the Russian military around that nuclear plant are revealing of their mindset and their priorities here. And in this case, they are not trying to necessarily cause a giant radioactive disaster, 
but they're also not trying that hard to avoid a giant radioactive disaster. Yeah, when it comes to Putin's mentality on this, uh, we had another podcast yesterday who had a guest uh, named Daniel Hoffman. You've probably seen him on Fox and other places. Uh, he's a former CIA station chief, and uh, he's been commenting quite a bit as, as this uh, invasion has unfolded. And he says, look, Vladimir Putin's a guy who poisoned Litvinenko in London, basically turned him into a human dirty bomb, which not only killed him, but made him a threat to countless innocent people who he was around. I mean, that's just one example. And of course, he's uh, poisoned a, a variety of other people and put other people at risk. So putting innocent lives in danger is nothing new for Vladimir Putin. And so this guy's got no compunction of putting hundreds or even thousands of lives at risk. So anyway, uh, on to some more good news. And that is the excellent rest you can get through the fabulous products over at MyPillow. And right now they've got fantastic deals, which are also a great reason to head over there. MyPillow.com. Go to the My Listeners page, enter the promo code MARTINI, where there's more than 20 deals for you to choose from, including My Pillows as low as $19.98, the My Slippers at 50% off, the My Pillow Towel Sets at their lowest price ever, only $39.99, 60% off uh, any Giza Dream Sheets with those prices as low as $39.99 also, and uh, if you use the promo code MARTINI, you'll get Mike Lindell's free book. And remember, the Giza Dream Sheets are made from the world's best cotton grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. These sheets are ultra soft and breathable. They're available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. You will find all of these offers and much more at MyPillow.com. Click on the radio listeners square and use the promo code MARTINI at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104. Right now, every order using the promo code MARTINI will receive Mike's new book, What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO for free. MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Do not forget the code MARTINI for your free book. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now and stepping away from Russia and Ukraine for a moment. Uh, the U.S. Supreme Court on Friday announcing that it voted six to three to reinstate the death penalty for the living Boston Marathon bomber Jokar Zarnayev. The uh, First Circuit Court of Appeals had reduced his sentence, commuted it down to life in prison. But here's the crazy part. Because I think you and I would be perfectly fine with uh, Jokar Zernayev suffering the ultimate penalty for his crimes here. The Biden administration, which I think we would approve of, appealed the First Circuit decision up to the Supreme Court, arguing that the death penalty for Zarnayev needed to stay in place. However, as Shannon Bream reports uh, from Fox News, this creates an odd situation for the Biden administration, which has both, one, put a moratorium on the federal death penalty, which Zarnayev would fall under because he was convicted on federal charges, and two, argued to the Supreme Court that Zarnayev should be executed. So does anything actually change? You know, um, every now and then when discussing the death penalty, I think back to a poll, I want to say it was in the late 90s, early 2000s, when Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber, was on death row. And as the execution approached, they did a public, uh, they did a poll of what Americans thought of the execution of Timothy McVeigh. And before they asked the question on that specific case, they asked people, do you support or do you oppose the, the death penalty? And the poll result, I think, was one of the more revealing ones. And I think mo a lot of Americans have different attitudes about the death penalty, depending on the circumstances. 
that they may have one that's kind of their general, you know, generic position on the issue. And then the specifics of when they're confronted with someone who is uh, manifestly evil, like Timothy McVeigh. Uh, as you may guess from the, the lead into this, a believe it was a majority, it was either a majority or a plurality, something like, you know, 40 some percent of death penalty opponents said they supported the execution of Timothy McVeigh. So I'm not surprised that the lots of Americans have mixed feelings, that they may feel like they have concerns about whether everyone who's on death row got a fair trial. They may want to ensure that uh, DNA evidence is included. They want to make 100% sure, make sure you've got the right person. And then there are some people who are like, well, I just don't like the idea of the government having the right to take away someone's life. These people on death row are no particular you know, threat to anyone else. Now that they're behind bars, we don't necessarily need to do this. Some of the wisest, smartest, and most moral people I know have that opinion, and I respect them for having that opinion. Me, I have no moral problem with killing baby brother bomber from the uh, from the Boston Marathon. He knew damn well what he was doing, and he deserves the ultimate consequence for that. Having said that, I think if you, it's one thing for the American citizens to feel confused and conflicted and different, you know, have different attitudes at different times. I think the U.S. government needs one consistent position, and I think there's a certain absurdity for the Biden administration to say, we want to eliminate the death penalty for everybody on death row, but except for this guy, this guy we totally want to kill. Got to, you know, and it's kind of, it's almost, it's a little bit, you know, there's a dark humor there. Um, in a very strange way, the Biden administration is manifesting that exact um, perspective of being opposed to the death penalty in the abstract, of wanting to find some other solution. But when confronted with a specific example of deliberate murder of innocent people, saying, yes, give that guy the chair or the lethal injection or a gas chain. I guess I guess all, everybody does it by lethal injection now these days. Am I correct, Greg? Uh, they used to. And then some places stopped giving the chemicals. So I, I think uh, South, South Carolina there was, there was and Utah started yeah. looking at firing squads again. Yeah, bringing back that one. So, uh, you know, I, I think most of us, I, I'd like to think everyone would agree that, you know, the death penalty should not be applied willy-nilly. Uh, it should be reserved for the most heinous crimes. And in some cases, it may have a really useful tool as a uh, you know as a prosecutor's tool recognizing that if you want to avoid the death penalty you need to confess to what you've done and accept the you know life in prison or some other uh, sentence or something like that so for those reasons I'm fine with it but I understand why people feel a deep moral conflict over this um, I just think the administration needs one clear position and in this case it was pretty glaring that you know one hand was not necessarily talking to the other no. Not at all. But uh, it does give us a little bit of a, a chuckle today. But uh, either way, uh, Zhukar Zernayev is not going to breathe a free breath uh, anytime soon uh, for the rest of his life, most likely. And that life may be uh, brought to an end sooner rather than later. But uh, even when you are back on death row, uh, it does usually take quite a long time, uh, unless you give up your appeals like uh, McVeigh did, which is why he was executed within about five, six years of the Oklahoma City bombing. But uh Jim, nonetheless, we have made it to the weekend, a very long and uh, difficult week in many ways, but uh, hopefully better news next week. See you then. It's a low bar to clear. See you Monday, Greg. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Uh, tell your friends about us as well. We are very, very grateful, seriously, for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. We also want you to know that you can get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend, and please join us on Monday for the next three martini lunch.